so we are we are live. This is Hugh Ballou and Russell Dennis, and tonight we're tackling the top issues that keep leaders from from experiencing the the success that they deserve. We have people watching on the webinar. If you want to raise your hand or ask a question, if you're on the webinar, uh, please do that. If you're not, you're on Facebook. You can go to non profitchat.org nonprofitchat.org and find the link and you can be a participant in the conversation and we will certainly look at your 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 questions uh, where are the questions Karen they are on um, we're gonna we're gonna uh, tell you what the questions are but they're released there's five questions that will be released during the hour and if you look on Twitter for hashtag nonprofit chat and um, Facebook, uh, then you will find the questions posted and you can, you can respond to them. If, if anybody listening wants to respond to the questions, please use the hashtag nonprofit chat and A, like question one, Q1, you would say A1, nonprofit chat, here's my answer. So we find that a lot of people are responding on Facebook as well as on Twitter. And then if you go to nonprofitchat.org, you can find how to join us on the, uh, on the webinar. So Russell Dennis, uh, how are you tonight, sir? Very good. Very good. Had a wonderful Easter and uh, life is very good. Uh, a lot of exciting things going on here in the Denver metro area with nonprofits. That's great. That's great. I, uh, Russell's been with me just about every time since we started these live chats on the Tuesday at 7 Eastern, and uh, I take a great risk at having Russell here because he has such wisdom. He might show me up more time than, when, than not, so he's, he usually has these profound little things he puts into the play, but Russell's had uh, numbers of years. I, I sort of guessed, I thought it was at least 50 years that you and I combined have in working with nonprofits. Would that be close? That'd be pretty accurate, yes. Yeah, yeah. So we ought to be smart. We ought to at least have some sense for how to get to the right answers. And I don't know about you, but I made all the mistakes. And so I know a lot of things that don't work. Kind of like Thomas Edison, he finished the light bulb, it took him 10,000 tries. He said, I found 9,999 things that don't work. Right. So we're going to pick up right here. This is a nonprofit chat where we also uh, – we'll have this on the nonprofit exchange podcast and there'll be a link on nonprofitchat.org for finding the nonprofit exchange. It's where you can find these interviews forever. And if you go to nonprofitchat.org, you can register and have alerts for what's coming up and also takes you to a page where we're starting to put all the archives and we have about three years worth of archives of, of interviews with thought leaders. Um, so, Russ, let's, um, Russell, Dennis, and Hugh Blue are with you tonight. We've been around and we, we've worked with charities for quite a while. And we've created a list of, what of some of the topics that, that leaders struggle with the most. And what are topics that, that are barriers to success for leaders? And if I could only deal with this one, well, we want to deal with all of these five, and I know there's a lot more. Uh, and, and Russ, these are the five that, that come up the most for me, and I'm just going to share them again with people there on the website. So the things I see that limit success are no strategy, no leadership development plan, either for the leader or the team, leader burnout, which is a real big deal. Um, there's no synergy with the team and the teams. There's no synergy within and from team to team. And then uh, the one that's the real kicker is there's insufficient capital to do the work that we're called to do as a charity. Would, would those top five resonate with you? Well, they would, uh, particularly uh, coming out of the shoot with the strategy. And to me, before you actually do a strategy, you have to have a solid foundation. And uh, that would be your vision, values, and mission and have some clarity around that. And, and oftentimes you get one or two people that will come up with an idea to solve some social problems and go out there and just do it. And as they start bringing people on board, they, they, uh, they don't do it strategically. 
And as a result of that, they, they bring people in, and, and I'll describe that a little bit more as we go on. But uh, without that agreement of what it is that we're trying to get done and what the most important things are, then it's hard to develop a strategy because you can't come up with a series of things that are most important and then the sequence for getting them done. And so when you just kind of shoot the hip, (laughs) it makes it tough to get any traction. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're also, um, there's, there's five questions we're going to, posts that that are relative to those those five five areas those five gaps those five challenges and so the first one is i don't know how to get people engaged with the vision what's missing and my approach to this let me throw this out and you and i can take terms that leading on the answers i'd like to take this one if i can i i don't think people know where to be engaged unless there's a strategy and the, the whole framework of what you're going to do is included in the strategy. And I, I have people tell me, well, I have a business plan. Will that do? Business plan is basically, in, in my world, a financial document that you show a banker for a loan or you show an investor or a donor wants to see what the business side looks like. A strategic plan is an, an operational plan. It's an organic document that says who does what and when. And it gives you the tactical piece along with the long-term uh, strategy, your long-term objectives. Where do you want to be? And then the strategy tells people where they can play. So people aren't engaged because there is no strategy. So the number one problem I see is this vacuum. We have something as a leader in our brain. We haven't really taken the time to articulate how other people can participate therefore they are confused and a confused mind doesn't doesn't adopt they say no they can't participate so let me let me throw it over to you russ what's the what's your take on the no strategy and why does that cause cause some of these limits in success well you know when people approach you and i've seen a lot of new nonprofit leaders do it they they have a, a, a vision that they're sort of excited about or they want to accomplish something and they're very excited about what it is they want to accomplish. They really haven't thought through how to go about doing that. So they'll go out and, and, and look for people that they know, like, and trust and say, hey, I've got this great idea. We talked about it briefly. I'd like to stamp out hunger or provide socks or clothing or something of that nature to, to local people. And uh, so we, we can start a nonprofit and go out here and, and uh, save, the, save the world. And they haven't really thought it through. So as they're approaching people, they're excited about a vision that they haven't really thought through. And, and uh, when they approach people and say, I need board members, uh, a lot of people default to, oh, a nonprofit board. Oh. And even worse, they may have had an experience where they tried to join the board and they weren't clear what they uh, were going to do. And we live in a time where people are very strapped for time. And so when they see, especially when they see a newer nonprofit, it looks like a black hole for their time and effort to disappear into. And so this will make them hesitant as far as getting engaged because they don't know where they're going. Uh, there's really no uh, definition, even a rough one, of what kind of time and effort to commitment has to be made up front. So if you're clear about what it is that you kind of expect or what you want to try to get done, uh, then that makes it a little easier. But you have to start out getting agreement on what's important and build the team around you. You can't uh, fly solo in this type of endeavor. You really have to to get some agreement from your team. That's so key. I can tell you're, you're very experienced in this area. The, um, we, we, we want to turn apathy to enthusiasm. And the way to do that is to be purposeful about defining the outcomes of the work that, that we're going to do. Now, we're guilty. We're, we're, we're social entrepreneurs. We're creating this social enterprise that brings value, return on life for people, 
Mm-hmm. We're not looking at return on investment. We're looking at return on life. We're creating great value. However, we are social entrepreneurs and we tend to have the same trappings that all entrepreneurs have in that because we think it is, it should happen. Well, no, we've got to spend some time on the, on the front end defining what it looks like so others can understand where we're going and the brilliance of our thinking and as a place for people to contribute their thoughts and their skills and the tactical part. We still own the vision. It's still our vision that we've been given. We do need to work with people in implementing that vision and, and pulling together, uh, like you had talked about, as a team. And I get some, some excuses that if I played it back to people later, they'd probably be embarrassed at some of the excuses they give. Like, I can't write goals. I don't have time. And, I, and so I'm thinking, okay, you've got time to do it wrong and go back and do it over. You've got time and money to spend endless money doing it until you get it right. You've got time to really alienate everybody who wants to support you because you're creating confusion. So, so part, and the other excuse I get is, well, if I write a strategy, it's going to limit my creativity. Well, that's, that's just so much nonsense because as a musician, as a conductor, I know that having a structure allows me to be creative because everybody knows where we're going I don't have to use my brain power on figuring out what to do next. I can use my energy and passion to implementing what I've spent time in preparing. So it does require that a leader pay the upfront price and make a commitment in writing to the vision and the execution of the vision. So what do you think about those, those footnotes for strategy? Well, as far as that goes, you know, it, it helps to capture your guiding principles and values that are important to you, as well as that vision. And those will form the, the why. Why is it that I need to do this particular thing? Why is it important? And then you find other people that it's important to. When you get down to the mission, the mission is talking about how you do it. So uh, this is very important to get some agreement on and to move forward on as, as a group and get people to help you do it. So if you're bringing people in to help you do something, they, they got to have some skin in the game. They got to have a stake in it. So the important thing to agree on is the overarching goal. One person's not going to have all the answers as far as how to get things done. So you need to have all of these other people people that are engaged even on the front end. But the leader or leaders, the one or two people that actually started, really need to go through a whole process of building a foundation, which includes uh, coming up with clear, concise, and complete uh, uh, value, vision, and mission statements so that they understand what it is they're trying to get done, who they're trying to serve, and to, to do an inventory to find out, okay, where are we at now? Any business, any regular business has to do an inventory of what do we need to create this impact to take people from point A to point B. And then you look at what you have and say, what do we need? It's just like making a shopping list to go get groceries. So especially if you're making special dishes and that's that's what I like in some of the things that nonprofits are doing. You've got a recipe, you're creating some impact. If you go to the grocery store without your list, you're going to leave out some important ingredients <laughs> and you'll end up uh, with an incomplete dish or you'll have to go back. But it's understanding what it is that you need. You do this inventory up front. When you have these things in hand, then you're ready to approach some other people and talk about what you want to get done, and you might have an idea, but you leave it sort of open and find people that this whole recipe resonates with. Once you start finding those people, you go over and sort of fill in the blanks and get their uh, take and their view on the values and the vision and the mission, find out what's important for them. And an important question is, what is it that I want out of this? Those first leaders have to ask themselves that, and they have to find out what the people they're approaching want out of it. And uh, so if there's a, a chance that 
that everyone can get a little something that they want and they're agreeing on the overarching goal. Then you got that solid foundation to start uh, filling in the gaps or, or start the process of building. But you know, the, the, the sum is usually greater, the, the whole is usually greater than the sum of its parts. And to use another musical analogy, let's look at Fleetwood Mac, for example. Uh -huh. that's, that's one of my favorite bands. Stevie Nicks is wonderful. And she's had, and each of them have had some solo success to some degree or another, but they've been wildly successful as a unit, as a group. And uh, even now, uh, Christine McVie's not with the group, but without all five of them there, there's just something missing. There's a secret sauce. <laughs> and so it works that way with, with nonprofits or anything else that you're building or putting together. You have That's, to have all of those parts there. Those are really helpful words. There's just a lot of really um, words and concepts that have a lot of substance. We, we're going to deal with um, volunteer engagement, uh, question four, but it starts right here in the strategy because you talk about competencies you're going to need, you're going to talk about roles and responsibilities, you're going to talk about measurable outcomes, and then you can have a meaningful conversation with people about what, what their passion looks like and what they're looking out of to get out of it. And you've mentioned that before, but it's, it's, it's a thing we forget. Um, we forget to ask and in the process of having the the team weigh in on things and have conversations and consider some of the tactical decisions is a key way for engagement um, so that that all starts right here with the strategy I see Renee is on the call uh, we're we're doing this if you listen to this on a podcast it's a recording of a live broadcast on the nonprofit chat my colleague and friend Russell Dennis who's also a, a a wayfinder in, in the 501c3 Center Vision Leadership Foundation, which I founded. And we are aligned in methodology and philosophy. And um, um, I'm a little older than he is, but he's a little smarter than me, so it all works out in the end. Um, but we, we enjoy working together, and Russ brings a lot of, uh, a lot of really good experience from the past. And if you, you want to find notes from sessions and you're listening to podcasts, you can go to nonprofit chat.org and find some notes and get on the list to receive more notes. So Russ, let's go to, it's, 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 and if you're looking at this on the, on the web or on Facebook, uh, post your questions. We will get to Facebook questions after the event. Um, during the event, we'll look at the questions that come from the people that are on the live webinar. And, um, if you're listening to the podcast, go to the page of the podcast and, uh, put a comment there. This is a two-way conversation. Question number two for tonight um, deals with this topic of uh, capacity for the leader. We think we know leadership because we've read a book. We think we've arrived when in fact leadership is a, an ever-expanding topic and it's something that we work on forever because we never learn it all and we're continuing to be able to learn more. So the question that's out there right now is I'm constantly trying to do my work better, but I'm not making progress. What's missing? So Russ, why don't you take a first stab about how do I work on myself? And, and by the way, leadership is also the culture and we want to help raise the bar on the performance of our, the skill and leadership skills of our team. First, we need to take care of ourselves and upgrade. So, Russ, why don't you take a, take a stab at this? Uh, how do we establish and maintain a personal growth pattern for our own leadership skills? You know, one of the things that I did, because there's just there's so many things to learn about uh, operating a nonprofit, is just set up a schedule. And I have something worked into my day where I look at, I look at some of the latest trends. I look at things that are going on. Uh, I try to, to, to stay connected to thought leaders in the field. I talk to somebody from a local nonprofit somewhere. I talk to at least one person every day just to get a feel and a sense of what's happening out there. And for myself, I have a personal growth plan where I'm uh, adding to my storehouse of knowledge 
and building new relationships all the time. And I do that by asking people what they're doing and what they need next so that I, I stay in that service first type of mentality so that I, that's how I develop myself. And uh, by talking to other people, we can share resources. I always have that uh, idea of collaborating with others and talking to others and uh, making people around me better uh, and learning from people around me. And it, it, it has to be intentional that you're, you're actually doing this development. And when you've got people working with you or for you, uh, learning should be something that's built in as a group because the, the more skills other people have, the better. Now, there's some things that, quite frankly, I just don't do very well. So I've gone out to find collaborative partners who are good at it because it will take more time, energy, and resources for me to try to fill a weakness mm -hmm. than to find a partner who has that particular skill or knowledge as a sweet spot. And uh, when we work together, we can get a lot more done. So this is part of that inventory process we get. We look at uh, where's there a gap in my skills or knowledge and, and uh, find somebody that has the same value, vision, and goals that can step in and fill that role. And, uh, you know, let people do what they're good at. It's almost laissez-faire, but if you select people correctly and you put this together the right way in the first place, uh, then people, you know, you can tell them where you, you agree upon what, what's important, the big why. So get the heck out of the way and let these people work in their wheelhouse and stay in yours. And when everybody's working from strength, uh, you won't get overwhelmed so much. But a lot of times leaders will take things on and, and uh, they think I don't really have time to train people to pass my knowledge on. And uh, if, if you keep solving problems for people, they'll learn to rely on you to solve problems for them instead of growing into solving them. On the flip side of that, you can sit at your desk and be stuck with something. Pick up the phone and ask somebody. <laughs> Pick up, you know, find somebody that knows what you need to know. And that's being an integrity as a leader and being vulnerable and people respect that. They respect the guy that says, I don't have all the answers. See, I got to be careful. You make me look, you show me up. You got a lot of wisdom there. I love it. You, um, you offered a whole lot of tidbits and I, I agree with everything that you said. It's, it's really spot on. I, I love that piece where I, um, it's, it can be called over-functioning, where we do too much when we have other people who can do it. So there is the wisdom piece is knowing what to do and how much to do and then when to let other people step in. But part of our job as a leader is equipping other leaders. And the reason I like transformational leadership, it's a culture of high performance. Like I'm used to with a choir or an orchestra, we build this culture of people who understand their role and responsibility. And we're very clear about where we're going and I don't do it, but I, I'm the energy field. I'm the conductor. I keep people in on the same beat. I keep them nuanced. I help them breathe. I help them understand how we're balancing. Cause somebody's too loud. I, you know, there's cues there. Somebody's going too fast. There's cues. So I'm sort of the, I, I'm the resource. I'm sort of the regulator, but I don't, it's, it's more pull leadership. How do I influence people by a clear vision, clear directions? And you know what, Russ, we, we, um, we set up problems as leaders. We send confusing signals. And I know lots of entrepreneurs that say, we're going to do this. And then 10 minutes later, no, we're going to do that. And then 10 minutes later, we're going to do this other thing. Well, you never stopped those things you said we were going to do to replace it with something new. So now we've just shut down the whole culture and we've, then we get mad because people aren't doing anything when it was in fact us that set up the problem to begin with. So in a lot of that, a lot of that stuff that you were talking about, um, it's, it, it all stems from that strategy. Where are we going? Who's going to do it? What are the measurements? How do we measure progress? 
And I, I find um, there's several ways that I keep myself and my own skills uh, current. I read every day. Um, I created, created this podcast, this uh, nonprofit exchange, and interview other people, but also share, like tonight, we're sharing things that we know because we have valuable things, not just other people. So as part of the CineVision team, I think it's important for us to share what we know. So I cre created this podcast because listening to podcasts is one of the ways I grow my awareness and I grow my skills and I expand my thinking. And I love hearing what other people are doing and how they solve problems, how they create energy and how they do things. So the podcast thing is a regular learning, a learning experience for me. And the other thing is important. Everybody who's successful has a coach. The, the more successful you have, you are, the more you need a coach and, and the more coaches you have. And if you look at some of the top athletes in the world, they have multiple coaches. Why? Because they want to stay at the top of their game. Yesterday was the Boston Marathon. And all those people out in front had coaches. The people in back don't have coaches. So what's the answer there? If you want to be successful, have a coach. If you want to figure it out, you're going to be at the back of the pack. Uh, so constantly read, constantly explore new paradigms for reframing and growing our, our thinking skills, but also have someone that you pay to which to whom you are accountable who will ask you the hard questions. And so if we want to get better, make a commitment and in, and you said intentionality somewhere in this conversation, be intentional about this organization. Uh, John Maxwell has the law of the lid in his 17 irrefutable laws of leadership. And the law of the lid says that your organization cannot grow any further than your ability to lead it. And people read that and they go, oh yeah, it doesn't apply to me. And they continue to have a ceiling on the effectiveness. So if your organization's going to be better, you must be better. I must be better. We must be better. So working on ourselves is the number one priority. If you're going to transform your team, you're going to transform your organization, begin by transforming self first. I am 70. I'm still in transformation, Russ, and it's a, it's a joy to learn new things every day. I look forward to learning new things. It's sort of uh, been part of my DNA when I was, uh, when I was a young and I, I loved when I was five, six, listening to the record, the bear went over the mountain, the bear went over the mountain to see what he could see. <laughs> so exploring is, is part of my DNA. I think I played that record so much it was worn through and you could hear what was on the other side because the needle wore right through. <laughs> so I want to move on to the next question. I think uh, we've covered this one pretty adequately. You want to you have a comment before we go on to question three? No, no. I, I like this, this third question. And it's, it's really something. And, and this covers the reason why more committed people, passionate, committed people, end up leaving the nonprofit field. And I still talk to a lot of them. Burnout. Uh, it's so, a, it's you know, a crisis. It's a crisis. Yeah. And, and the question is posted on social media is, um, what are the best ways to prevent leader burnout, dot, 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 especially my own. And the Meyer Foundation did research recently and discovered that the leader burnout in the nonprofit sector, this doesn't count churches, uh, in the nonprofit sector is 45%. And they went on to state that a full 75% of those who lead charities are looking at the exit door. And I think part of it, Russ, starts with, we use the word nonprofit because we understand it to be a tax-exempt organization. Yes. It, it, does, it does put us in this scarcity thinking when we think, oh, we can't make profit, which is just the antithesis of the truth. And, and so we've, we start with this, this scarcity thinking. And if we don't work for an organization that wants going to put some money into personal development for us and for the team, then we need to think again. We need to be advocates for having 
in the budget some level of personal development because we will function better if we have the ability to grow our own skills. Then as the leader, we are the coach, we are the mentor, we are the facilitator of a professional growth for the others. They can also have, if they're significant in the organization, they can also have a line item for attending seminars or having some books or subscribing to online learning. There's lots of ways for us to access that. And I think leadership burnout is something that we put ourselves into. You mentioned um, earlier about guiding principles, which is a very strong piece of the strategy. And it's also a lifesaver. How will we make effective decisions as a, as an organization, as an individual? So I have personal guiding principles. How will I manage self? And I have organizational guiding principles. How will we make decisions together that honor the core values we've identified, that honor the culture that we're creating? And really, the guiding principles are the core of defining our culture. So we've got a continuum here. We've got the strategy is, is sort of the umbrella for this. Everything that's going to happen is in the strategy. Every time we spend a dollar, it's got to relate to something in the strategy. There needs to be a line item for that. We've planned for that. It's leading us toward our objectives. Everybody we hire or work with, there's a competency statement. We need these competencies in our teams to be able to implement this, this plan. And, and a lot of the things we've talked about, the guiding principles are articulated, organizational guiding principles. I don't think that it takes away the, uh, the essential part of writing our own guiding principles. And part of that is where do we set healthy boundaries for ourselves? How much will we work? Where will we be able to say no to things that are of lower importance in order to be able to say yes to things that are of higher importance? So there's, there's a lots of factors here. Part of this relates to time management. We don't manage time. We manage our use of available time. And part of that comes from the careful work of doing the strategy, which ultimately when people say, I don't have time to do it, you really don't have time not to do it because it saves you time and it helps you learn where you can delegate. And we actually set up more things in motion and we move from being the doer to the leader. There's too many leaders that are doers. And we, so we tell ourselves lots of lies, like, I need to be able to do what I ask other people to do. Well, yes, but you don't have to do it all. You've got somebody that can do it, and maybe they could do it better than you could do it. And so there's lots of lies we tell ourselves, which end up in us taking too much stress, too much work, and then that anxiety diffuses any, any uh, energy that the team might have for wanting to participate. We actually rob volunteers of an opportunity to serve and connect with their passion to something that's life-changing. So that's my take on this burnout piece. You smiled because you think it's a really important topic. So I'd like to hear what you say about burnout. But now, you know, the thing with us entrepreneurs, whether we're social entrepreneurs or profit-making profit, uh, entrepreneurs, uh, we suffer from excess optimism. You know, we see, we see what we, we see. We've got a vision for a better future. And I'm guilty of it. Just running there headlong with a to-do list from hell. Uh, and there... Everything in my experience takes two to three times as much time, money, and effort as I estimate that it's going to take because I'm the eternal optimist. So we have to factor this thing in. We have to really look at that and be realistic. One of the things that happens is with the big vision, we, we uh, instead of smelling the roses, we try to hug the whole, bear hug the whole bush and run off with it. And you can imagine <laughs> how ripped up and beat up you are from that. <laughs> so um, it's, it's to get one rose and smell it, not try to yank the whole bush out of the ground and run with it. You know, that's that's kind of a, a picture of overwhelm for us. 
but we fall into that trap. And so it's understanding that, and that's why it's really important to take all that time up front to build that foundation to understand what it is you want to get done because there's a sequence to everything. Uh-huh. And the most important things have to get done. And you have to break it into small, manageable chunks that are doable. And we backfill. You know, we can start with as far out as three to five years and bring it into what am I going to do today? And we need to have a few things, very few things on our plate that we actually do when we have other people in there to help us uh, and accept that help and, and not try to do everything. It's about trusting your team. So you have to, you have to pick the right people. Uh, and that trust has to be built in there. And, you know, everyone won't have all the answers, but as a collective, you'll have most of those answers you need. That's why you're always looking at and measuring, which is the third step of of the four steps to building a high-performance nonprofit is staying on track. It's measuring what you're doing. Are we getting where we said we wanted to be? And you keep score. And so how how you keep score internally is going to be different than how the people who are actually getting your services keep score, which will be a little bit different from how the people that are actually paying for the services are going to keep score. But you have to know what's important to everybody. So that's critical as far as getting it done. But burnout is just get your ego out of the way. Get your ego out of the way and let people help you. This is, this is where you, a lot of leaders find themselves in over their head. And I, um, do you agree that, uh, that we, we end up uh, setting up problems ourselves? Well, I don't know about you, but if it wasn't for me, see, the bad news is that if it wasn't for me, I wouldn't have any problems at all. <laughs> but the good news is that that's the one thing I can actually do something about. So it all, it starts inside. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of leaders, a lot of good people create, uh, I've certainly been guilty of, of creating my own problems by, by taking on too much. So uh, I, I just think it's human nature as eternal optimists and people that want to get things done and want to see changes for the better. Uh, a lot of social entrepreneurs, they just dive right in come hell or high water, we're going to make this change. And so (laughs) that's where they get into trouble. (laughs) Well, we think we got an S on the shirt for Superman or Superwoman. And it's, it, Russ, it's almost like we think we can fly a plane and we don't need to take lessons. Well, you know, I mean, people can, uh, I think about it with gadgets up. I'm a gadget guy. I like technology and I'm anxious to get my new gadget going. And I'm a little hesitant to read the instructions up front before I start tinkering and playing with my gadget. And, you know, <laughs> a friend will say, uh, well, aren't you going to read the manual? I say, well, it's not that bad yet. <laughs> well, that's part of the male, the male uh, ego, isn't it? We don't read directions till we have to. And we definitely don't ask for directions when we're going somewhere. And so there's little chance that that's ever going to change now that we got the GPS. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some instruction on how to, how, to, how, to, how to operate the GPS. Well, you're, you're, you just triggered something there. Your strategy is the GPS for your organization. And it, it helps you find a way to go but it doesn't work automatically. You can't say, Siri, take me here. Um, if maybe that's something we should invent, Russ, is for a Siri for nonprofit strategy, take us here, and then Siri would give us all the, the steps along the way. Um, I'm, I'm kind of stuck on Siri, and you're right. We don't ask for directions. I could have saved five years of driving around in the, my life so far if I just stopped and said, hey, how do I get here? Well, now that I've got a GPS, I don't understand how the heck I ever found anything before. It just becomes. <laughs> well, you know, part of part of um, our duty and delight as as leaders is to figure out how things happen, 
in this, this whole exercise of writing a strategy is informing us of, okay, here's where I need to upgrade my skills. Here's where I need to begin to delegate things. And that's something we don't know very well. So part of this leader burnout is we don't understand how to say no to things. We don't understand how to delegate and we don't know. And you mentioned this earlier, which is so spot on. We're doing things out of sequence. Therefore we're working way harder and getting fewer things accomplished because we're not doing them in sequence. And so there's, it all comes back to being anchored in a really good strategy, doesn't it? That it does. And I have, um, uh, I've been at, at, at this, this recording of this particular session, I've been to 22 different cities. You've been to two of them with me, one in Denver where you live and one in Melbourne, Florida, where you presented um, things that, that you're, well, you could have presented a lot more, but specific things that I asked you to. And um, we, we heard from people going in what their problems were they wanted to solve. And leadership burnout was on the top of the list. Um, lack of funding, which we're going to get to in the last question. But the next question is about um, board and volunteer engagement. And that was the, the second most common thing. How do I get my board more engaged? So this, as we said earlier, it's yet again, it's, I'm sounding like a broken record and, and something. So how to get volunteers and board members to work together. And I'm going to ask you to start this. But I, you know, you've heard me say this. I think we should eliminate the word volunteer. They're really servant leaders following their passion. So what's your take on how do I get my, 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 stakeholders, my members, my board members, my committee members, how do I get them uh, to a higher level of engagement? Well, you know, I, it really, it starts at that foundation. If people are engaged in something, if they're part of putting something together and a part of the definition of what that's going to achieve, and a part of uh, the definition of how we go about doing it. There's an ownership there. They're not having something dropped in front of them, but they actually get to put their creativity into what it is that you're trying to solve. And that buy-in is really important. You know, the other key, and, and I, I've, uh, I've done a really lovely little math on it. I was starting to look at things. What are, what are some things that, that board members well and i'll go back to the servant leaders i'll have to share this little uh nice little piece of uh, uh material with you at some point and we could have a whole discussion just around this but you know when you look at it are the core values matching you know are, are is the vision built on some core values that are really important to it and what's the, what is the servant leader looking for? What is important aside from the problem or having people that are directly impacted, being directly impacted themselves, that doesn't resonate with their core values? Are they looking for some specific networking opportunities? For example, if it's a student, is it something that's going to help them uh, find a job? Are they going to get access to people they normally wouldn't meet? Uh, are they between careers? Are they transitioning? Uh, are they looking to collaborate with other people in their businesses? So what is it that they want as individuals? Are they looking to gain relevant job experience? Is it somebody that's come out of the workforce that's retired that wants to give back that wants to create a legacy mm -hmm. so there's all these different questions it's really important to find out what resonates people and what what moves them. and if you understand what that is and how it relates to the to your nonprofit and the mission that you're trying to accomplish that's kind of the sweet spot when you can get a match you know so Focusing on the goals of the organization has to be thing number one, but the people who resonate with you are going to come and be a part of that. And that's why I want to talk to Travis Smith from Impact here, because his operation, he's been doing it for seven years. Uh, there's all volunteers and they get the donations 
there was an army of people. We put together 1,500 lunches with meat sandwiches, drinks, meat, chits, substantial meal uh, lunches. We put together 1,500 meals in 45 minutes. And he's got a system. He's got a system that works, and they do this, and they pull it all together. And you don't always have the same people every time, but it works because these folks, he's found a tribe of people that are fully engaged with what he's trying to do. And they should, they suit up, they show up. Not only do they give money, they give it their time. And so this is a wonderful thing. So it, you really have to, to find out what it is that people want. They want to express themselves and have that creativity and, and show what they know and show what they can do. And they should be given an opportunity to shine. Oh, those are some, you triggered lots of thoughts in that. Um, I think people who donate buy in at a higher level. And we're, we as leaders are afraid to ask people to, to kick it up higher. And statistics show that the more you ask volunteers, the more they're going to do. And um, so we're not, we apologize for asking people to do things rather than saying, here's a place that you can put your passion to work and make a difference. And this whole thing, certainly board members ought to be donors or not on the board. That's a, that's a given, I think. But I think uh, others in the organization, there's no opt-out automatically if you're, if you're donating your time that you don't have to donate your money. I think you give your time, your talent, and your money. We all have bought into the philosophy and we're not there for personal gain. Um, I've got a little different um, perspective to add on the, the lack of engagement from all of these different different entities that we're talking about. So Russ, have you ever attended a boring, unproductive meeting? Well, Hugh, that's probably about 4,000 hours of my life that I'm never going to get back. <laughs> have you ever led a boring, have you ever led I, one of those? I have, you know, Keep in mind that I spent a lot of years working for various forms of government. <laughs> so, I mean, we're masterful at, at producing the meeting, the ongoing meeting, because, you, you know, there's not really an agreement on what you want to accomplish. And in a lot of instances, that sort of stuff comes from the top down. And so when you've got everything coming from the top down, there's going to be a limited uh, level of engagement. I've seen some horrifying surveys that talk about worker engagement. It's absolutely abysmal, the amount of engagement that the average worker in this country has. It's a lot of apathy, and we blame them for it when really it's back to us. <clears throat> we're the leader. We're the motivator. We're the person that's the influencer. So I think from my experience, my humble experience, as a conductor, we create this energy field that, that – people rise to a higher level of, of engagement. And my, my work in life is to transfer what I know as a conductor into the non-musical arena. How do we engage people in, in this work? And so the number one killer of teams is the boring, unproductive meeting. So let me give you a couple of points here. Um, to prevent boring meetings, never ever have an agenda. We're back to what you said earlier. Agenda is a, a, an item of activity. For instance, an agenda item is we're going to discuss marketing. Well, we put that down like it's normal and that's what we ought to do. Well, there's no, to your point, there's no defined outcome. So if we took the word agenda out of our vocabulary and we replaced it with the word deliverables, which is a measurable outcome, it's a specific measurable outcome for this time, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes. It's like a mini goal. It's a 90 minute goal. We're going to walk out of here. Here's the deliverable. Instead of talking about marketing, we're going to walk out having defined the top five marketing strategies that will increase our donor base by 25% or our donor amount by 25% or our volunteer engagement. So how do we market And here's specific ways. So we, have a measurable outcome of the work we're going to do and 
we're going to then assign responsibilities. And by the way, you're the leader. Your name doesn't go on the list. Your name is on every list. You're the facilitator. You're the champion. You're the mentor. You're the influencer. You're the resource for all of these people who are leaders. And, and the more we take on, the more we're preventing their personal growth and their engagement. So boring meetings, never have an agenda. Um, write down the action items and assign them before you leave. Make sure people know. Put a time on them. When do they do? Is it the next meeting? Is it the meeting after? When do they do? When we brainstorm, let's do it visually. You've seen my storyboards. We write. We talk to each other. We put it up on the storyboard. Um, I personally hate chart pads because you look at the back of somebody's head who's printing on the chart pad and you, you kill the energy in the room and you, you waste a lot of time that's totally unproductive. And so there's a whole, and we have uh, available if people want, we have free resources on how to conduct power packed meetings. So it's how does a conductor run a rehearsal? We run it for specific results and it's attitude adjustment. People leave feeling better than when they came in. So it's a personal injection of energy into your team because as you pointed out earlier, they're part of creating the tangible results. Now we've had so much fun here. We've uh, pretty much spent our time. We've got, we're on the downside of our, our interview, our session tonight. We've got one more topic to deal with, which it's like we've built a car and now we don't have any gas to go anywhere. It's the money. How do we put money into our, the bad word, nonprofit? We must make a profit. So it's a tax exempt charity. We're allowed to bring in positive cash flow. It's not for personal gain. We don't distribute. There's very clear, as you know, IRS rules about how we use the money. However, we can bring in money because yeah. we're using it for creating value for people. So the last question, what are ways of attracting more funding from our organization? So why don't you, you want to you wanna have a go at that one? I do. I'll have a start with that. You know, one of the things that, that we do as nonprofits, if you're running a nonprofit, you are providing valuable service to the public public benefit. Some of those services are paid for at market rates. You may have skills that you can deliver to people who can actually pay for them through a fee for service, uh, do reduced cost uh, services. Uh, upwards of, I've seen some studies that say that up to 70% of, uh, of the revenues that nonprofits generate come from for services of various government contracts and that sort of thing. Give us that number again. That's a really important. It was, it was over over seventy percent, and uh, I'll have to dig for that study, uh, but I will find that for you. But it, it was it was quite a surprise to me when I read that. Seventy percent comes from. Give me the rest of that. Uh, feed for services or government contract revenue. Wow, that's, that's amazing. I thought that was fascinating. And it's just like uh, 70, oh, 70 cents out of every dollar. Uh, when you start talking about things like donations, you start talking about grants, public-private grants, which are things that people are more familiar with. And I think that that comes from uh, the fact that a lot of entities out here solving social problems are moving into an entrepreneurial. And in a lot of the services are provided at reduced cost because you have to explain the grant makers how you're going to sustain the program after the period of the grant has run out. So you try to find ways to generate revenue in any way you can. So uh, you're starting to see more forms of business that are profit making that have a stated social benefit, like B corporations and. Uh, there's a new form of limited liability company, low profit limited liability companies, okay. and some other things that are designed to help bring revenue into nonprofits. But a lot of times you have a funding mix that's too reliant on a single source, and maybe not necessarily the best source uh, of revenue. 
And so you have to get creative in looking at where the funds come from and think about some possibilities. Uh, depending on what you do, can you provide a fee for service? Uh, can you get sponsors? And a lot of things that nonprofits write checks for are things that could be taken care of through what I call, uh, what's been called in-kind contributions. And this is where people are contributing their talent, their brain power, uh, uh, or other resources, uh, access to, to their audiences. It, that would be like in the form of either a corporate sponsorship or uh, pro bono services from lawyers and tech firms. And so again, with, with these kind of opportunities, those are just like uh, uh, attracting uh, servant leaders and board members, you know, you have to let them know what's in it for them or find people that have something to gain and be able to define that level of commitment and be specific about what you're trying to ask and not try to get everything from one source. So uh, I don't hear many people talking about acquiring pro bono services uh, or, or a few talking about sponsorships. Uh, when they talk about sponsorships, they talk about going down the street to a local business. And a lot of local businesses will, will, will give some of the product that they have. Mm -hmm. uh, but they don't really uh, talk in depth about sponsorship as, as a partnership uh, because the nonprofit is delivering something to the people that sponsor them. There's some value that's being exchanged. And that's a whole nother topic to talk about. And I've learned a few pieces about sponsorship and about getting pro bono services. So that's a whole nother topic. Uh, but it's really getting people connected and engaged. And, and so there are a lot of different things that, that you can leverage. Uh, but everything boils down to being able to get that mission. And if that's getting equipment, or materials or, or uh, getting other people's talent and time, uh, that's as good as money in the bank to get you moving forward. Well, it does save you money. So that's, uh, and I'd like to point out, you've, you had um, a few years with IRS, so you have some of that authority eyeballs that you, you look at this through. There's, um, in, in my world, there's eight sources of revenue. And this is another uh, equipping ourselves as leaders to be able to do this. And you pointed out several. We, of course, there's donors, but we don't do a good job of managing donor relations. And I'd like to point out, as you said earlier, all of these depend on building the relationship and the value proposition. We receive money because we're bringing value to the world. So number one is donors. You mentioned sponsorships, grants are another way to bring in. You said there's a whole category of in-kind donations for printing uh, pro bono legal services or, or things like that. That doesn't give us money, but it saves us cash and it allows somebody to do that philanthropic work and uh, be represented um, in, in the good works that we're doing events we do events that generates money it should generate money i have a category i call partner money um, churches rotary foundations local groups have a budget item they want to see something happen you do that they don't do it but they've got the money so you get 10 rotaries that are going to give you a thousand each for a project you've got ten thousand to run a project Mm -hmm. They support charities like a free clinic or a food bank or reading programs. So those organizations do have line items. Um, there, there's a um, wills and bequests. We have people who have money they want to leave in their will. And there's, there's a tax benefit to doing that. And so we, uh, we want to make sure that we understand and have somebody that's a financial manager talk to them so they can leverage their, their taxes so they can make, using all the laws that are in place, get the benefit for the tax for themselves and their heirs in how they leave that money to the charity. And because we've got a strategy, they know where we're going and they know that that money is going to provide value on an ongoing basis. And some of those big gifts let you um, set up an endowment fund, which mm -hmm. supports the legacy, the ongoing legacy of what you've started. So there are, there are a number of, of ways, I forgot one, I've left out one, but there, there are a number of ways for us to be able to bring in income 
to our charity. That's putting gas in the car so it goes. Now, there's another one. If we have real estate that we own or real estate that's been donated, we can leverage that for not paying rent or to rent it out, use it for business income, the business generated income. Um, so there's, there's lots of ways for us to think about developing simultaneous recurring income for the charity that we lead. So Russ, this has been, um, this has been fun doing this again. We've, we meet on Tuesdays and we interview next week. Um, next time we do this, we're going to be interviewing David Dunworth about how charities can market themselves. How do we let people know about what we're doing? And so that's another chapter in, in what we're doing together, sharing value um, and giving learning opportunities to those people. Uh, I think I've seen a number of over 4 million 501c somethings out there, government organizations, tax exempt organizations, uh, membership organizations. There's quite a few of us out there doing work. And I think if we share best practices, we all can be better at what we're doing. Thank you, Russ, for sharing your wisdom tonight. And I look forward to the next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.